Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Luke. This morning, we will be looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. It is a short passage in the narrative, but it is surely an event and a story that the disciples never forgot. Would that we too would remember to have that kind of trust in Jesus. If you'd please give attention to the reading of God's holy word, the word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke. And rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased. And there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? That he commands even winds and water. And they obey him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that You would remind us that You are indeed the Master of all circumstances. Through all trials and difficulties, O Lord, You remain constant. Please bring this word even to our hearts that it might take root and that we might grow thereby. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is a short story, but it is a story full of power and memory. It is not something that you would forget if you were involved in it. It's kind of like the crisis that comes into our own lives, isn't it? Those bad moments of life that seem to interrupt what we do. We don't like to face a crisis, do we? No one asks for challenges and difficulties in their lives. No one says, oh Lord, please send me things to challenge my faith. As a matter of fact, we actually do everything we can to keep the crisis away, don't we? We use wisdom and and common grace to try and ward off the crises of life. We do things like we invent insurance. We stockpile reserves. We plan and we think and we hope. Because you see, the truth is we don't know how we're going to react in a crisis that hasn't come yet. 
We don't know how we will survive a crisis that we're not even aware of how serious it is. So what we try and do is to keep it away from us. But you see, this morning we see that it is sometimes the work of our Lord and Savior to bring us into the midst of the crisis that we might be challenged, that we might even see that we are found wanting. So that in that, we can know with a greater sense of surety that we depend on the Lord Jesus alone. And so this morning, we'll see what happens when the storm hits. It's a storm on a lake for the disciples But that storm may take a different shape in your life. But we will see when the storm hits. And then we will see the struggle that happens in the midst of that storm. And then finally we will see the faith that carries us through in the storm. A storm that hits. A struggle in the midst of the storm. And faith in the storm. Let's begin then by looking at the storm that comes upon the lives of the disciples. And keep in the back of your mind struggles and storms that hit you. It begins quite simply. One day, Jesus got into a boat. Now, the language here is actually very interesting. Luke actually says, on one of those days... It's an ordinary day. It's just a day when Jesus happened to get into a boat. And this should give us great comfort because the disciples did not wake up that morning and say, I think let's get into a shipwreck. It is amazing. Perhaps, young people, you need to take notes on this. Crises do not show up on your calendar. Not even with the best app. They do not pop up and say, beware, crisis at 11 a.m. No, they come at you when you do not expect them. This is just one of those days. And the disciples are doing what they have done before. They're fishermen after all. They're used to getting in a boat. They know the lake well. Jesus has asked them to go out onto the lake before. There is no reason to think that this would be like any other day. There's no preparation that goes into the crisis. This is not like the games that boys play. You know those games when you were younger? You played the who can hit the other boy's shoulder harder? You take turns punching each other in the shoulder and you brace for this and you wait for the punch? That's not how life works. You can't brace for the crisis. You can't get ready for it. When it is on you, it is already too late. So Jesus tells them to get in the boat. Now, he does do something a little bit different than what they were used to. He says, let's go all the way across the lake. This is the first hint. Because, you see, fishermen aren't used to that. They're used to going out into the lake, fishing, and coming back to shore. They might be more comfortable on the boat than than you or me. If I'm out on a sailboat for any length of time, I I get seasick. That's not my idea of a vacation. But at the same time, even with that skill, they would rather be on dry land. 
So now Jesus says, we're going to go all the way across this relatively large lake. And you can imagine they would perhaps ask themselves, what is Jesus doing here? And then they would be even more curious as he sets himself very likely in the front of the boat, the only area in which there would be space to lay down, and Jesus lays down his head and goes to sleep. And they think, well, this is odd, but we know what we're doing. We've been out on the lake before. There is a sense of security about what they're doing. This is not a a small boat. Imagine a boat that is large enough to hold about 15 people. It's stable. It's not a small fishing skiff. And then after all, this is Jesus' idea, isn't it? Jesus must know what he's doing. We've been following him. Surely we'll be safe if we're doing what Jesus wants. And you see, if we're not careful, that kind of thinking creeps into our own minds. We live life thinking somehow what we need to do is get ourselves perfectly in the very dot of Jesus' will for our lives. And if we do that, everything will be smooth sailing. And if there's any rough patches, well, then it's our fault. We need to re-examine a bit more of what we're doing and get somehow in that very perfect will for our lives. There's a false sense of security. And then everything begins to change. You've seen it here in in Texas, haven't you? It's a glorious, sunny day. And then maybe just one rumble, and the sky turns black. And the rain begins to pour down, and you can't even make it back to shelter because it's moved so quickly. That's what happens here. You see, the Sea of Galilee was interesting topographically. It was a large lake ringed about by mountains. And you see, what would happen is the wind would come up off the ocean, would go up over the mountain and swoop down. And it was not unusual for a storm to appear completely out of nowhere, for it to be a perfect day and then all of a sudden life-threatening. This was life on the Sea of Galilee. And then when it happens, you would be even more nervous because you would know this. It was actually 700 feet below sea level is this sea. It's a dangerous place when it's not peaceful and calm. Now, normally it would be peaceful, but it is the perfect place for a storm to come and hit. And Luke tells us that a a windstorm came and gripped the boat. Now, don't picture the kind of storm that you see in the movies where the wind begins to get stronger and stronger and occasionally there is a gust. No, this is a full-scale storm. You have to picture the waves rising and falling, chopping against the boat. You have to picture wind from every direction. Actually, one of the best ways to translate this word windstorm is hurricane. Have you ever been in or near a hurricane? You don't find it fun. 
For the first few minutes, you may wonder what's going to happen, but then as the winds begin to blow and as things begin to break and things fly through the air, you're not worried about the glory of the storm. You're not thinking about how neat it is to see the rain. You're just wondering if you survive. Now imagine you're not in a home, but out on an open-air boat in the midst of the sea. And the danger here is very real. This is not a movie you're watching. This is not a 3D theater experience where they spritz some water at you to give you the experience. No, this is your stomach up in your throat and down in your feet. This is water coming into the boat, soaking you to the bone, making it hard for you to move because you're so wet and you see the boat go up and crash and up and crash and you wonder if it will be snapped in half. That's a real storm. We have storms in life like that, don't we? When we go to the physician and hear about some odd, unpronounceable disease and wonder what the treatment is like, that's not like observing a 3D movie, is it? It's not like reading a novel, is it? That's when the pit in your stomach forms. That's when the mist comes over your mind. When financial struggle swoops down upon us. When we think we're secure and all of a sudden the bottom drops out. What do we do? The danger is real. But then look at the contrast between the storm that surrounds the disciples and Jesus. Jesus is asleep in the boat. There's a real contrast here that Luke is setting up for us. He actually says, as the boat goes off, Jesus drifts off to sleep. It's kind of like the way that you watch your children fall asleep when they really need a nap. When they're bone tired, you just see the the eyes flutter and the peace that comes over them. Now, we know that Jesus needed sleep here. He must have been extremely tired because could you imagine sleeping in the corner of a boat on the ocean? There was no place to lay down. There was no pillow, no cotton sheets. There was maybe a blanket that they rolled up for his head. It's the kind of sleep that... When you are really tired, you get and you wake up with a horrible crick in your neck because there was no good place to sleep. As all of this is going on, Jesus is asleep. Now, one thing about this story that's encouraging to us is that this story shows us that Jesus is indeed truly man. Even though He is God, He is so tired from the work that He has done that he is ready to take a well-deserved nap in the boat. And the storm begins to build, and the storm begins to crash, and can you picture the scene? He's still asleep. How can he do this? How can he not be disturbed by the storm? And imagine if you're a disciple. You see Jesus asleep in the front of the boat, and you wonder, does he even care? Actually, one of the gospel writers tells us, they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? You know what that feeling is like in your heart, don't you? 
It's when there's a lot of work to be done around the house. And someone in the family is sitting. And it makes it harder to work, doesn't it? Because not only do you have hard work, you say to yourself, why do they get to sit? Why aren't they working? And you get more worked up, don't you? You get angrier about what your situation is. You get more challenged by the situation. Why aren't they helping? Why aren't they doing something? Now imagine what's going through the disciples' minds. He's the one that got us into this in the first place. How can he possibly sleep? Doesn't he know that we're in real danger? And you see then, what they begin to do is what we so often do. They start to struggle in the midst of the storm. Fear begins to come upon them, but they remember that they are experienced fishermen. Now, they wouldn't be afraid normally out on the boat, but this has gripped them. They would have perhaps heard stories about sudden storms on the Sea of Galilee and relatives and loved ones who had been lost at sea. And so they spring into action. They say to themselves, we've got this. We know what we're doing. Could you imagine Peter barking out orders? Could you imagine James and John telling people what to do? Because they're experienced in this. Now, I imagine that Matthew's not much help. They're not going to have a need for calculations, at least not of money, while they're out in the midst of the storm. But you can imagine they're telling him, grab that rope, tie that down, get over there, get out of the way. You, pick up the bucket, let's go, let's move, we can do this. And you can imagine at the start of that, there's a lot of confidence, isn't there? And that's the way we approach a crisis, isn't it? We don't know what's going to happen with our finances. Well, we'll get a second job. Get a third job. We'll save better. You'll clip coupons. You won't spend any money. There goes the cable. I'm sick. What do I do? Well, I'll go on the Internet and order every vitamin known to man. Take them twice a day. I'll go see every doctor. I'll talk to everyone who knows a doctor. I'll learn everything I can possibly learn about this illness on the Internet. I'll become an expert. I can handle this. This is what we do, isn't it? It's our first reaction in order to overcome our fear, in order to go past the freezing pain of fear. We spring into action. They know what to do. But then there's a turning point. Because they're knowledgeable fishermen, they look and they realize they're not going to make it. They don't have what it takes. The storm is bigger than they are. It's that moment when it clicks. I can't do this. What do they do? That fear that grips your heart when you know that you can learn everything that is possible to be learned about an illness on the Internet and you can't cure it when you can work as hard as you can possibly work, you can't change the heart of your children. What do you do? Well, the very first thing that we must do is come to that point. To know that we cannot handle it alone. That all of our expertise, that all of our striving, that all of our work is not sufficient 
We have to come to that point when we stop saying to ourselves, we'll show you, Jesus. You stay asleep. We'll handle this. We have to come to the point when that is wrong. When we're willing to give up. When we're willing to say we don't have what it takes and we have to turn outside of ourselves. And then we have to do what the disciples did. You see, these experienced fishermen, they've striven all that they can to try and conquer this storm and they realize they can't. And the one smart thing that they do is they turn to Jesus. Now, I want you to see something here. They don't turn to Jesus in the fullness of calm and faith and say to themselves, we forgot Jesus was in the boat. Everything is fine. You see, if you just have faith in Jesus, you can get through any of life's storms. You see, that's a trick we play on ourselves. That that's what faith is supposed to look like. That that's what trusting Jesus is supposed to look like. But the reality of the weakness of who we are looks like the disciples in the boat. Can you imagine this scene? Someone figures out, Jesus can save us. And they start yelling and screaming, Jesus, get up! They're shaking Him. How would you get up? The very word that they use to wake up Jesus is the same kind of word that is used for a storm arising. This is not some kind of calm, trusting, full of faith transaction. No, they are still in panic mode. But they know enough in panic mode that their only hope is Jesus. You see, that's what we need to think about and understand. It's not about how we go to Jesus. It's about our willingness to go to Him. To understand that He is our hope. There is urgency in their voice Jesus, don't you know that we are dying here? They yelled to him, Master, Master. There's emotion in their voice. Is this the kind of emotion? Is this the kind of urgency that grips you in the midst of your life? When you're burdened by your sin, do you cry out to Jesus for mercy? When you are dragged down by pain and misery and suffering, do you cry out to Jesus for relief and for patience? When you are struggling just to get through the day, do you cry out to Jesus for strength? You see, this is what it looks like to conquer fear. We conquer our fear not through our own strength, not through girding up our loins, not through tightening our belts, but through going to Jesus. Acknowledging that we don't have it and that we are afraid and we need Jesus. And then something wonderful happens. Now notice the, the flavor of how Luke tells this story. You imagine the boat is rising and crashing and rising and crashing and Jesus is asleep. Picture in your mind's eye Jesus in the front of the boat as the boat goes up and then comes down and Jesus hangs in midair for a bit and then lands, stays asleep. 
As the boat sloshes from side to side and Jesus stays asleep, the storm doesn't wake him at all, but one cry from his children. And he springs into action. You see, Jesus hears the cries of those who trust him by faith. He's not brought into action by the fury of the storm, but by the weakness of his children. And he's not brought into their panic. Do you notice that? Praise the Lord that Jesus is not like you and me. If I, for some reason, had taken about 50 sleeping pills and I were asleep in the boat and you managed to get me awake, the very first thing that I would do upon waking is join you in panicking and screaming. But not Jesus. He's not like us. He gathers himself. There's a calm that immediately proceeds from him, even before there's a calm in the circumstances. Do you understand that? Jesus is not affected by the circumstances. The waves are still raging. The wind is still howling. But Jesus is in complete control. And he looks out in the situation and he speaks a word. Quiet. And a hush comes. Imagine that. Imagine what it would be like to see that. One minute you're sure you're going to die. One minute you're sure there's no hope. One minute in a last desperate gamble, someone says, let's wake up Jesus. And then everything is peace. And everything is calm. Do you think they were expecting that? I don't think so. Now, what does that mean then for you and me? Well, if you're in the midst of the storm of your marriage and you think there's no hope and there's no way to turn the clock back and there's nothing you can do and you're desperate and you go to Jesus, He could bring calm. Just like that. If you think there's turmoil in your family and your children are running astray and you don't know what to happen and you don't know what to do, and you go to Jesus, and He could bring calm. Because you see, Jesus is not affected by the storm. Jesus is not afraid of the circumstances. Jesus is in control of the circumstances. He speaks and He commands, Luke says. The the word there is very vivid. It is to threaten. Be quiet or else, waves. You know who's in charge, wind. He stops the raging. And this is what Jesus does, isn't it? This is the whole story of Psalm 2. How the nations rage against the church and against Jesus and against the Lord and Jesus speaks and they cease. You see, Jesus brings peace. He's in charge. And when we see that, that gives us faith in the midst of the storm. You see, we think we know Jesus. But it's when we are challenged most and we see His power in a very personal way in our lives that we really begin to know Jesus. How sudden the relief that would come to the disciples. How unexpected it would be. And Jesus then looks at them and challenges them. He says, where is your faith? 
Now, each of the gospel writers put it a little bit differently, but the, the sense is the same. Luke says, where is your faith? Matthew says, oh, you of little faith. Mark says, why do you have no faith? And the whole idea here is, is that they should be trusting in Jesus. Now, should they just have never worried about challenges in life? Should we go through life thinking nothing can hurt us? We shouldn't worry about anything. I don't think so. We're not Stoics. I'm not here to encourage you to be happy when things strike you, when circumstances get dark. No. You see, it's too easy, though, to think that God doesn't care, that God is too busy for us. But what we have to remember is the storms of life will come, but they are under Jesus' control. The disciples were in the midst of a miserable situation. How did they get there? Jesus told them to go out. He knew what was out there. He was not afraid. Something that is hard for us to understand as American 21st century Christians is that trials and tribulations are not the exception. They are the rule of the Christian life. And Jesus is there. And you see, they are reminded of who Jesus is, the Creator who calms the storm. But the one thing that we need to remember that they had forgotten was not just that Jesus was in control, not just that Jesus was God, but that Jesus was with them. You see, that's where faith comes from. Knowing that we are with Jesus. That Jesus will not always keep us safe. He will not always keep us from the storm. But we can trust Him. Because He's with us in the storm. Jesus is with us in the boat. Now that doesn't mean we have perfect safety of our bodies. It doesn't mean our finances will be fine. It doesn't mean we will have everything handed to us on a silver platter. What it means is there is safety for our eternal souls and that He will never let us go no matter what trials we go through. The disciples asked this question, Who is this man? I'll tell you what he is. He is a man who loves us. He is a man who cares for us. And he is a man who is God, who has the power to protect us and to save us.